Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Romans chapter 4, starting at verse 22, and we're going to go two verses into into chapter 5. These are the words of God. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. It is referring to faith, and him is Abraham. Therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. in, during the Thanksgiving season, we make it a point uh, with our girls to sit down with them on the couch and to ask them the question, what are you thankful for? And, and I'm sure you guys can imagine when you have four little girls all under the age of six, you get some funny answers, okay? You, you also get some profoundly cool answers from little children, right? From the mouth of babes. It's, it's amazing how, how kids can say things really beautifully and sometimes they'll say things and you just crack up. And Sarah and I have records of all of these things that our kids say. We keep so many notes. I mean, that's the beauty of a cell phone, right? You can, you can keep so many notes of weird stuff. And, and so Sam and Kate say the darndest things, as they say. Kids say the darndest things. Um, Joe's getting there, uh, but, you know, it, it's coming about. But again, so the range is from funny to profound. And I don't, I don't have a particular example for you this morning, but uh, we try to make this uh, a plan that we do. We make this a, a thing we do every year during this season. Now, we want to be a thankful people all year long. We're not just waiting till Thanksgiving, I hope. But we want to be a thankful people all year, all year round. But we make it a point. And during this time of, of Thanksgiving, uh, we, I, I observed three particular things that I think are worth noting, worth, worth sharing with you. The very first thing is that we, we really need to be intentional about giving thanks. Can I get an amen on that one? Well, we need to be intentional about this. Uh, my daughters, I, I want them to, uh, to have something to give thanks for on a ready basis. I want, I want them to just be like, this is what I'm thankful for. I'm ready for it. Uh, sadly, we're not, we're not tuned to this. What we're tuned to is the bad things of life. We're tuned to the things that are going wrong. We focus on those things. And so it actually takes a course correction. It takes steering the ship another direction to be intentional about thanksgiving. So as a family, we sit down to do this. The scripture tells us that we are to keep our minds on things that are pure and holy and true. You know that? Uh, It also says in Colossians that we are to set our minds on things above. Romans tells us that our minds need to be renewed. We need our minds renewed every day. Uh, So all of this means that we've got to be intentional about it. Your mind, my mind, doesn't just gravitate towards good things. It just simply doesn't. It, It tends to focus on the negative. It tends to focus on the things that hurt, 
Isn't that true? But we've got to be intentional. So, so one observation is we need to be intentional. Had we not sat down with our girls, that conversation wouldn't have happened. We would have gone through a, an entire season called Thanksgiving, and we wouldn't have given thanks except for during the prayer before the meal. Well, we gave thanks. That's awesome. No, it's, it's really something we've got to be intentional about. So that's the first thing. The second one is that there are obvious things that we give thanks for. Okay? There are obvious things. They're just very clear. For me, I, I, am, I am ready to give thanks for my wife. I'm ready to give thanks for my children. I'm ready to give thanks for the, for the opportunity that I have to be a pastor and a teacher. Those are really awesome th things, and they come to my mind very quickly. But, but what I have to be careful with is giving thanks for those things that have developed a kind of muscle memory in my head. So somebody says, what are you thankful for? And I say, I'm thankful for my wife. But I know that that's something I should be thankful for. And I say it quickly, but the question is, is it coming from here and muscle memory, or is it coming from here because it's genuine? Do I really uh, care? And, and am, I, am I really grateful for that? And so uh, one of the things that I noticed when we were sitting on the couch was my daughters, I said, so what are you thankful for? And right off the bat, Kate said, Jesus. The problem is, and I think you know what I, where I would go with this, the problem is I don't know if she genuinely meant she was thankful for Jesus or if she knew that's what I wanted to hear. Did, did you know this? My daughters know I'm a pastor. Okay, so, so they treat me like you do a lot. <laughs> they just give me the answers they think I want to hear. I'm just messing with you completely. But so she says, Jesus. And I'm like, unpack that. Okay, let's, let's see if that's something that is, is real, if it's authentic. So there are things that we're, we're ready to give thanks for, and they're obvious things. But this year, uh, I wanted to... I wanted to see something different. I wanted to explore something different. And I began to observe that there are things that we ought to be thankful for, things that maybe we are, but we ought to be thankful for that are less obvious. How many of you know that that's true? There are things that you take for granted every day, right? There are things that you just, they're out of sight, out of mind, and so you don't think about those things. And this morning, as this past two weeks, I was studying through Romans, getting ready for this message, and one uh, of those things became blatantly clear to me. And as soon as that one became clear to me, that I was like, wow, I'm not often thankful for that. It's less obvious. Once that one became clear to me, I began to reread Romans, and I was like, wow, there's a bunch of these things. There's a bunch of these things that I miss and I'm not thankful for and I, you know, I want to be thankful for. I want to honor God with. So I want to share those with you this morning, the less obvious things. And I want to challenge you to study the scripture for the things that you should be thankful for as well. Things that you often overlook. The first one comes from our reading this morning, which is Romans 4 verses 22 through 5.1. Again, here's what it said. It says, therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Again, faith is what it is, and him is referring to Abraham. We all know that Abraham lived by faith, walked by faith. Verse 23, now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but read this with me, church, but for our sake also. 
How many of you know that, that there are things written in Scripture that Scripture itself was written not just with other people in mind, but with you in mind? That's something to be grateful for. If this was simply a, a, a letter to a bunch of other people that we can't relate to, we, we have no connection with, then I'm not as grateful for it as I ought to be. I think, wow, there's some cool lessons in there. There's some cool ideas in there. I know that God inspired it. But when I see this word as something that God has written for my sake as well, it changes everything. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and correction and rebuke. And then this beautiful one, training in righteousness. All of scripture is useful for this. Show of hands, how many of you want to be, uh, live righteous lives? You want to be righteous as God is. Yeah, guess what? The scripture says all of it is used for that purpose. We miss it at times. We're not really grateful for this book, at least not as much as we ought to be. We're not grateful for it because, because many times we just think of it as something written to people long ago. But it was written for your sake, it was written for my sake. And this passage right here communicates something specific that was written for our sake. Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. That was not just said to him so that he could know who he is. But that statement was spoken so that you would understand too that your righteousness your righteousness, although bought on the cross through the blood of Jesus Christ, your righteousness comes by way of faith. That's how it works. It's not your work. It's not your effort. It's not you trying to make God happy. Any of those things. Your righteousness comes because you trust the work of Jesus Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago. Now, what does that trust lead to? What does, what does believing in God lead to in that kind of faith? It, it, it leads to you saying, God, I'll do whatever it is that you want me to do. See, this is the story of the Old Testament. It's also the story of the New Testament. Abraham was given a promise. Abraham was given a sign that he accepted that promise, that he was in covenant with God. That sign was circumcision, so follow the order. The promise was given, the sign of circumcision came, and then the scripture says 430 years later, the law came. Now, God had given Abraham many commands, go this way, go to Canaan, go this way, do this, do that. And Abraham loved the God he was in covenant with. So he obeyed him. See, that's the question that we, that's the, the disposition or the heart that we should have when it comes to obedience. The Christian who asks the question, the Christian who asks the question, can I believe in Jesus and just do whatever I want, is completely wrong-headed, right? The question is just strange, it, you have been saved by grace through faith. You have been saved by the mercy of God. You believe that. God credited to your account. Your bank account is full and it's called righteousness. And you're asking the question, the Christian asks the question, but can I do it my way? Do you see how weird that is? 
Like, we sit and argue as churches, as Christians. We argue about which sins God might have overlooked or God might not care about. We argue about which laws are still for today and which laws are not for today. But here's the truth. If God has called you to something, if God has commanded something, and he's the one, by his sheer mercy, has put you into a place of righteousness, why would you negotiate with him? Why, why do we wrestle with God? Yeah, but, but God, I, I kind of want to keep my sin over here. It's really comfortable. Of course it is. It's what he redeemed you from, though. That's what he's calling you from. So what's amazing, something we should be grateful for, something that maybe we overlook, is that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness, and so is yours. Your faith is credited to you as righteousness. Isn't that a beautiful truth? I don't, I don't think you, you, you understand it fully. I don't think you fully grasp it because I know I didn't. I know that I didn't. I didn't realize that resting fully in what he did 2,000 years ago changed the game of my life forever. Now, in walking by faith, do I trust him in every other area? Of course. Again, to ask the other question is wrongheaded. Can I get away with this? But to know that he has changed me, to know that he has changed you, it's life-altering. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. That's something we should give thanks for. That God didn't say, listen, your righteousness is hinged on you being flawless. Right? Because Dave is out. So I'm just <laughs> throwing that out there, right? So we're all out if we're honest about it. So he says this, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, uh, that it was credited to him, but also for our sake, to whom it will be credited, and when does that happen, will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. When we believe, righteousness is credited to our account. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions, he was also raised for our justification. Verse five, or chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's an amazing truth. Okay, so we have one. We have one thing that we might not think of all the time. I'm saved by grace through faith. That is a, a profoundly amazing thing that I need to be grateful for every day of my life. Turn back with me to Romans chapter 3. One page back. I want to share with you a couple of other ones that are, that are seen. The block of scripture that I'm going to spend my time on is verses 21 through 26. I'm going to go to some Old Testament passages. Don't feel like you have to chase me down. Verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. Now let me, let me explain what we've just read there because there's some nuances in the words. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Manifested. What does that mean? It's not faith that's been manifested here. What has been manifested? What was the righteousness of God? Jesus. 
Jesus is the righteousness of God. This makes sense of another line that we're about to read. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Jesus Christ being witnessed by the law and the prophets. What that line means is that the law and the prophets spoke. They were witnesses of the Son to come. They were witnesses of the manifest righteousness of God that was to come. Now, the next line talks about how we respond in faith. So even the righteousness of God through faith, that was revealed, okay? So this is amazing. This was the prophets and the Old Testament communicated because they communicate the story of Abraham. They communicated we would be saved by faith. All men everywhere, all people everywhere are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. As I've shared with you many times in the past, the Old Testament believers looked to a Messiah that was coming. He was the seed of Abraham. And we look to a Messiah who died on a cross and was risen three days later and will return. So we have the same idea, okay? So apart from the law, the righteousness of God, Jesus Christ, has been manifested. He came in physical form, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, because they all spoke of him, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, because Abraham was a man of faith. That's how this all came about. For there is no distinction. Now, here's where people, when they read the scripture, they obsess over this next line. They obsess over this next line. And they use it as a battering ram that says all people everywhere have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Did you know that all men everywhere have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? Yes, it's true. But this passage is not just communicating that. Look at what it says. It says, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. What was the distinction that Paul is dealing with? Jew and Gentile. There's no distinction. God is saving all men. Look at what comes next. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. True. Jew and Gentile alike is what that's communicating. Okay? Jew and Gentile alike have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But look at what all else all covers. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, comma, being justified as a gift by his grace through redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all, meaning all, have been redeemed by the work of Jesus Christ. Now, how does that come about? It comes about through faith. You trust it. In the church, we have these weird arguments about the fact that all men everywhere have fallen short of the glory of God. But when we talk about all men being offered the opportunity to be saved, there are some among the church that say God, God has what is called limited atonement. God has only saved some. But Romans 3 said there's no distinction, Jew or Gentile. Both have sinned and both are offered salvation. It's not talking about what they think it's talking about. All have been offered grace, but how does that grace come? It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. We put our trust in him. Okay, so the first, the first thing that we saw was that words are spoken for our benefit in the scripture. These are things we should be grateful for. I am grateful that God didn't just tell Abraham his faith was credited to him as righteousness. He also told me. I love that. I also love that the scripture says that faith in Christ Jesus uh, is uh, faith in Christ Jesus is all that's necessary because salvation has been offered to all mankind. 
I love that truth. It's beautiful. It should affect our mission work. It should affect how we go into the world. But then there's a, some really interesting things that happen in the next couple of verses. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. How are we propitiated? How is the wrath of God assuaged? Through faith in Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus, but through faith in that blood, correct? Everybody sees that. That's important. Okay, the word propitiation is one of those things that we should be grateful for. We should be grateful for. But we're not because it's slightly hidden. It's, it's one of those things that we might not fully understand. How many of you use propitiation in your everyday language? Yes, I got this, right? Okay, I, I, I subscribe to a program called Grammarly because I'm awful at grammar. That's just a fact of it anyway. But one thing that I love, I've always loved, is words, right? And Grammarly keeps sending me these alerts saying, you use a lot of words. And I'm like, thank you? I don't even know what to say to that. But anyway, but nobody uses propitiation in their everyday language, right? So let's understand what it means. The word propitiation here uh, actually has a big big meaning. And when you see the bigness of the definition, that's not actually a word. But anyway, so if you see, it's awesome. Isn't it? That's why Grammarly thinks I use big words because I make them up. Anyway, so, so propitiation has a large definition, but it has a large spiritual uh, meaning as well. So the word propitiation, actually this word includes two specific definitions. One is propitiation. The second is expiation. Can you say this with me? Propitiation, expiation. One more time. Propitiation, expiation. I love it. It just sounds fun. Okay. Pro propitiation has at its definition that the wrath of God is turned away from us. Okay? That the wrath of God is turned away from us. What's implied by that? That the wrath of God was owed to us. Please, please don't miss this. I, I wish that I could communicate this better. I wish I had words uh, to, to communicate this well. But understand that we became enemies of the God of the universe, right? When we read in Scripture that God so loved the world, we automatically, I'm not saying that we shouldn't, but we automatically read that from the way we like to read love. We read it as somebody who is lovable. God so loved the world, correct? So we say, God loved me, I must therefore be lovable. But I would caution you against this. I would caution you against this. Because of our sin, we became enemies to the God of the universe. Becoming enemies to the God of the universe gives God the opportunity to do the very thing he commands you and me to do. Love your enemies. I know it's hard for many of us to think about, but what if the cross was Jesus loving us so much? What if John 3.16 actually means for God so loved his enemies that he laid down his life for them? It would show me, it would communicate to me that the rest of the New Testament communicates the exact example of how I ought to love my enemies. You know what's the problem with that? I have a hard time loving the people who aren't my enemies the way Jesus called us to love. And his love for us is while we were enemies to him, he displays perfect love for enemies. He goes to a cross for them. That's staggering when you think about it. 
Okay, so the word propitiation means for the wrath of God to be gone away with. Expiation means that our sins would go away, okay? The wrath of God would go away, and then our sins would go away. Now, you might say, well, when your sins go away, that means the wrath of God is going to go away. Not necessarily, not necessarily. In Levitical time, or in, in Jewish times, in Levitical law, they were told several times that even though they repented, God said, you're still going to pay the cost of what you've done. They're still going to be reaping for what you have sown. How many of you know that that's true in the New Testament too? Galatians tells us, God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You can be a Christian and make a colossal mistake, do something very wrong-headed one day, and you may very well pay for that, even though God says, I forgive you, okay? So we have to remember this. So the wrath of God, propitiation, it goes away. Expiation, the sin of our life, goes away. The next verse, the next couple of verses says this. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. The propitiation of God was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. That was the patience of God. Verse 26. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time. And look at what comes next, propitiation and expiation. So that he would be just, he is just. Why? The wrath of God fell on someone, church. The wrath of God fell on someone. It fell on the Son of God. He became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God, and he hung on a Roman cross, and he took the full weight of the wrath of God, which was poured out on him. It's breathtaking. God is just, but he is also the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So look at what just happened there. Propitiation, the wrath of God has been assuaged because it was put on his son, and the sin of man was put away by faith because we believed in the son. Okay, so there's the technical idea that's communicated here. That's just the technical idea. Let's go to the spiritual idea. Turn with me to, Rome, or to uh, Psalm 99. Psalm 99. If you don't want to turn there, you can, you can just listen along. Psalm 99, starting, or just verse 1. That's all I'm going to do this morning. Psalm 99 says this. The Lord reigns, let the people tremble. We should remember that. We should remember that. He is a holy God after all. There are some images that we create. I hope you guys are tracking with me this morning. But there are some images that we create of God. And we tend to like certain images more than we like other images. Okay? I love the image of God as a father and I his child. But the same scripture that says God is a father and I am his child says that he is a groom and I am his bride go figure, right? He is a groom and the church is his bride. The same scripture says that he is God and we are his creation. What happens when we favor one over the other is we say, God, if he is a loving father, would never make his children worship him. Well, yeah, I guess that that makes sense, right? I don't, my four daughters don't worship me. Right? They, they don't. We don't have that time in our house on a, on a given basis. I am their father. They are my children. God is our father. We are his children. But make sure you don't miss this. God is still God. 
you are still a creation, which means you still revere and worship and honor him. Which means even though he's a father and even though he's a husband, there is a place for reverent fear in the life of the Christian. But one view of God alone, one view apart from all the other views, leads to distorted relation, relationship with him. We'd simply say, no, 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 God would never yell at me. He's holy. Yes, he will. And he'll smile while he's doing it because he's in complete control. He will love you, but he will correct you because he's good, church. He's good. So we need to understand this whole piece. So Psalm 99 says, the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. Those are his people. All the world will one day. But look at what's said next. It says, he is enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. He is enthroned above the cherubim. Show of hands, how many of you even know what that's talking about? Sarah does because she heard my sermon before. <laughs> Tina didn't, but she knows. <laughs> she, awesome. Okay, so how many of you know what the Ark of the Covenant is? You know what the Ark of the Covenant is? Do you know what the lid of the Ark of the Covenant is called? It's called the mercy seat. It's the mercy seat. You know what is on the mercy seat? Two cherubim that w- their wings touch in the center. Okay, so you have the Ark of the Covenant, the lid is set on, it's the mercy seat, the cherubim do this. In Leviticus 16, God instructs for the Day of Atonement, he instructs Aaron to, uh, to fire up incense. That incense is supposed to cover the, the, uh, the, the place of the cherubim, it's supposed to cover this place, because God is going to speak from the mercy seat. It's a pretty powerful image, isn't it? right? God is going to speak. So they made a sacrifice and they sprinkled the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat. And when they did that, the sins of the people of Israel, as well as the sins of the high priest who had done a sacrifice before, all those sins were atoned for, okay? They were wiped away, right? All of their sicknesses, all of their diseases, all of their, right? This is what it's talking about. It's wiped away, So it was done. Now, how do they believe in that? Or how do they know that? By faith. Just make sure you understand it. It was by faith. You went to the the temple or you went to the tent one day and, and the sacrifice was made and you walked away. Nothing really physical had changed except for dead animals, right? Nothing really physical had changed, but by faith, you had been atoned for. Why? Because the God of the universe speaks through the mercy seat. In Romans chapter 3, the word is propitiation. That word propitiation is only used twice in the New Testament. The first time is Romans chapter 3. The second time is Hebrews chapter 9. And do you know what the word is interpreted in Hebrews 9? Mercy seat. See, what's amazing is what God did in the Old Testament, speaking to his people by faith through the mercy seat between the cherubim and the the smoke and all of that. What God did by speaking to his people between the cherubim, Jesus does between two thieves on a cross. The word of God, the mercy of God is communicated to all of us. God is consistent, church. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has always had a plan, and he's always been working that plan out. The same God who is holy, who must be just, according to Romans 3, is also the justifier of those who have faith. So the God of justice, the God who says, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to uh, pour out my wrath somehow, pours it out on his son, 
on the cross, on the mercy seat. He is the mercy seat. He pours out his wrath. And what is communicated to you and I? Mercy. Psalm 99 says that God speaks to the people through above the cherubim. And yet before that, it says all the people should tremble. Do you know what our right response to mercy is? Trembling. Our right response to mercy is, why does a holy God love me the way he does? Amen? Our right response to mercy is to bow when we're in his presence. Our right response to mercy is to lift our hands in praise and adoration. Our right response to mercy is when we sing songs about that mercy. We're not sitting there going, huh, wonder what today's going to have for me. No. Our hearts should be broken. Our hearts should be melted before us because why? The God of the universe, who is your father, the God of the universe, who is the groom, Jesus Christ, who is the groom for his bride, the church, is also God. He is God. He is God. And what has he done throughout this whole thing? He has spoken to us through his mercy seat. He says, you are atoned for. You are atoned for. Is that exciting? I don't know. Maybe you're asleep, but I'm not. So I'm ready to go, right? The God of the universe speaks this. See, there's many things to be thankful for on Thanksgiving. There's many obvious things. We need to be intentional about them. But there's many obvious things. But there's things that have gotten lost for us. Things that we are not thinking of anymore. And when we dig them up and when we bring them back, all of a sudden it changes the game. All of a sudden we say God in the Old Testament spoke from the mercy seat and God in the New Testament spoke through the mercy seat. God is communicating to us that he loves us. He is both just and the justifier of those who live by faith. He is just, church. He will never not be just. He is a good and a faithful God who will bring down wrath on unrighteousness. Praise God for us that he has done so on his son and that we might walk in newness of life. Church, it's huge what's happened. So what we ought to be is a people of gratitude. Now next week, what I'm going to do, because I'm out of time, but next week what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to you about faith, because all of this, is, all of this happens by faith. But as I've shared with you many times in the past, we've misdefined faith or we've mystified faith. It becomes something that it's not according to the scripture. And all of this is going to connect with the story of Abraham throughout Romans 4 and Romans 5. But as we close and as the worship team comes up, I want to read to you Psalm 32. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I asked the church, I asked the volunteers that are here before our celebration start, I asked them, how many of them want to live a blessed life? How many of you want to live a blessed life? Come on, I know, I know that all of the hands should go up because the book sales for books like that are, are in the millions, right? We want to live a blessed life. But here, here's what I want you to know. You already live a blessed life. 
Why do you already live a blessed life? Look at what it says. It's not in your possessions. It's not in the things that you have or the things that you'll gain. Look at what it says. It says, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven? How many of you stand forgiven today? The idea is we live a blessed life. Why? Because our sins are forgiven. Why are our sins forgiven? Because God spoke through the mercy seat. And how do we know that? How do we know that? By faith. God said it happened. It's a promise. It's written down. It wasn't written for people's sake just a long time ago. It was written for your sake as well. We have a promise. It's tangible. And we rest on that promise. This is big stuff, church. This is big stuff. And all of this is what we need to be grateful for. All of this, all of this is what we should wake up on a Thanksgiving morning or the next day and the next day and the next day. And we need to stand there and say, God, you are so good. You are so good. And I will tremble before you any second. I will bow before you any moment because you are faithful and you are good. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.